0: This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning, Trinity. We uh, are continuing our sermon series in First Samuel. Uh, we're going to be at the end of chapter 9 and in chapter 10 today. Uh, now, if you'll remember, last week we, saw, we talked about security in God's plan, um, and we said that uh, God's plan and God's character was trustworthy, and so we could have security ultimately in these things. However, I kind of hinted at the fact uh, as we looked at Israel's negative example. There, I, I hinted at the fact that frequently throughout First and Second Samuel, we're going to be looking at negative examples of what it means, and today is is no different. You see, Israel was crying out for a king. But the king that they wanted, as God warned them uh, last week in, in chapter 8, uh, would take advantage of them, exploit them, uh, take their, their sons and their daughters and, um, and, and tax, tax their lands, right? It would take, 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 and God is the God who gives, gives, gives. But the people demanded a, a king nonetheless. And so God says, okay, uh, I will give you the desires of your heart. You're going to have a king. Now, the Lord chooses a man named Saul. We're introduced to him earlier in chapter 9. We're going to be starting a little bit later in chapter 9. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about it his, his introduction as we go forward. And here's the deal with Saul. Uh, Saul is kind of going about his business. Samuel approaches him, who the book is named after, who's the judge of the time, and, and kind of grabs him and says, You are going to be the king of God's choosing. You are going to lead this people. This was a big ask It seems to be uh, earlier in chapter 9 that maybe Saul had some aspirations already towards leadership, uh, not just in his community, but across all of Israel. Uh, And yet, this um, command by Samuel that you are God's chosen man was a really big ask, a really big challenge. And the question for Saul as we watch him and his life unfold is whether or not he was going to obey God's plan for his life. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a really big ask, um, whether you've understood God's plan or whether you've had things that have happened in your life um, that have been really, really challenging. And oftentimes, I think in those moments, we cry out for a sign, right? We're like, God, give me a sign that I can know that I'm on the right path, that I know that I'm going the right way. Now, Saul doesn't cry out for a sign, but actually God gives him a sign. And he said, I'm going to give you a series of signs that you will know that this is my plan for you. And not just for you, it will also show the rest of the people that you are the person that I have chosen. And I'm calling you to obey my command to lead this people. I'm calling you to rise up to this challenge of leadership. I think that this sermon today about crying out to God for signs is applicable in many areas of our life, but since it concerns leadership, I thought we might focus a little bit there. And I think many of us are called to leadership in our lives in, in various different ways. Uh, it may be in our place of work or business, uh, but it's also in our families. Uh, we're called to discipline our children or, or serve on, on sports teams. Leadership may be even in ministries at the church or in other organizations. Uh, we are called to set examples to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And a lot of these calls to leadership are challenging. A lot of them call us to make hard decisions and do things um, that make people unhappy, like any position of leadership might do. And in those times, I think we cry out to God for a sign. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, maybe you've learned that it's wrong to ask God for a sign, but it's not so much that it's wrong to ask God for a sign as it is to demand your own signs. This isn't what Saul does. He's given signs from God. But the question is going to be whether or not Saul can even see the signs. When we cry out to God, God, give me a sign. Are we able to see the signs that God gives us? Or are we oblivious to them? Uh, I don't know if you guys know the phrase left on red. Uh, but it's when you send a text message, you know, on like iMessage, and then it shows that it was read at 9.30 Uh, and then you're waiting for their response, and they never respond, and it kind of signals that you're being ignored. You know, WhatsApp does it with the two little blue check marks. Uh, Now, you can turn that off, uh, but uh, I think most of the platforms also require that means you don't get to, uh, if people can't see when you've read their receipts, then you don't get to see theirs either, which I respect as like a mutual form of privacy, like, okay, if you're going to opt out, uh, but I say opted in because I will sacrifice a little bit of my own privacy for the sake of snooping into others' privacy to know when they've read my text messages. Maybe y'all are the same. I don't know if you turn it off or on. The problem with Saul that we're going to see in this passage is that he left God's word on read. God told him what signs he was supposed to look for to confirm for him that this calling that he was going to have upon his life was actually from God. But Saul ignored it, downplayed it. And so instead of leading courageously as God had called him, he has cowardly disobedience, fails to do that which God had called him to do. The question for us as we review Saul's actions in this passage is whether or not we're going to leave God's word on red, or whether we're going to learn from Saul those signs that we can look for in our lives to know that we are on the path that God has us on. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word, which points us to these things that we need most to follow God's path. We're starting in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 27. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 27. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed on, stop here for yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you were to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son?" Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of the prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds you to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these things came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? "'Is Saul Saul also among the prophets?' And a man of the place answered, "'And who is their father?' Therefore it became a proverb, "'Is Saul also among the prophets?' When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, "'Where did you go?' And he said, "'To seek the donkeys.' And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, "'Please tell me what Samuel said to you.' And Saul said to his uncle, "'He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found.' But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. This ends the reading of God's word. It points us to those things that we desperately need most to obey God's word. May he bless it for you and for me. Please be seated. So we wanna have courage to obey God when he, when he calls us to do challenging things and we need signs. Now, the first and foremost sign That Saul receives. And we're going to start right here, which is why I included chapter 9, verse 27. The first thing that Saul receives is God's word. Look with me at 1 Samuel 9, 27. As they were going to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us, and when he has passed on, stop here for yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Saul was always going to miss these other signs. He was not going to have categories to understand what they could possibly mean without God's word explaining to them the importance of them. And so before we go further and to explain these signs that we should look for, I wanna recognize first and foremost that we must have God's word, that God's word points us to those things, teaches us what they are, shows us what exactly it is that we need to depend upon to have courage to obey God in those challenging times. And those things that we need most that we're going to learn about from this passage is we need God's presence, God's provision, and God's Spirit. So, in some sense, we're going to be looking at multiple signs here. God's Word being the foremost, pointing us to these other things that we should look for in our lives that give us the courage to obey God in the times where we're doubting Him, when we're crying out for a sign to know that we're on the right path. We need God's presence, God's provision in God's spirit. Now, as I mentioned, today's a negative example, Um, and it's a negative example of Saul, and our passage today begins a series of events that show that Saul is the kind of person that leaves God's word on read, that disregards God's word, that belittles it and thinks that it is unimportant. But it's kind of hard to see. You know, I've, I've mentioned already, we started in verse 27, that I may make known to you the word of God, and in some sense, this should have stopped Saul in his tracks, He should have remembered the story of when Samuel had made known the word of God to other people, of how God had thundered from the heavens to deliver them from the Philistines before, to think back about their miraculous escape from the Egyptians when God spoke through his prophet Moses. He should have understood what a weighty thing it is to receive the word of God. But the word of God was also going to tell him what signs he should look for. Now, Saul's a negative example because he disobeys, but it's hard to find exactly where Saul disobeys in this passage. It's going to take a little bit of explaining, so I I want you to stick with me. I know it's going to be a little bit hard, but we've got to grab context of the passage. So if we look at chapter 10, verse 7, we explain the signs, and God says, Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds you to do, for God is with you. Now, this is an interesting phrase. Because we might assume that whatever his hand was supposed to do just meant that uh, Saul had free reign, you know, Uh, like he had carte blanche freedom to do whatever he wanted uh, because the spirit of the Lord was upon him and he was able to do um, whatever, and the Lord was with him in whatever he was going to do. But that's not exactly what it means. If you'll remember back to chapter 8, the people wanted a king for a particular reason. They wanted a king to go out and fight their battles because of them. Saul was supposed to fight their battles because of them. Now, when we're in the midst of these signs, um, we get this explanation about Saul going up to a mountain and meeting these prophets, right? And actually, as we read through, it says uh, that there's going to be people with, like, telling him about his, his donkeys. We're going to talk about this in a second. Uh, people with loaves and food, right? And then there's going to be people that are prophesying, and then he's going to join them. Now, when it says what actually happened afterwards, the only one that it mentions is the prophesying one. Here's Why? Saul was supposed to be at Gibeoth Elohim, which means hill of God, when the last of the God given signs happened. But there's something that's wrong here. On the hill of God, there's a garrison of God's enemies. The enemies of God's people are encamped on the hill of God. This is an outrage. It should not be. And Saul, when he was overcome with the uh, spirit of the Lord prophesying, was supposed to seize that moment to rally the Israelites around him and attack the garrison of the Philistines on the hill of the Lord. Do what your hand finds you to do. Wield the sword and cut down the enemies of God. Do what it is that I've called you to do. This was intimidating work. If you were to read about Saul in chapters 9 and 11, uh, you'll learn that he mostly deals with livestock. Seems that like he grew up a farm boy. He's not exactly a military political leader. Uh, he's not used to rallying people around him. He's from one of the smallest tribes of Israel. He has no status or power, and yet God is calling him to marshal an army and pick a fight with a foreign occupant in their land. You understand that like the Philistines already have the upper hand. <laughs> They're already encamped there. They're already in the land of Israel. And Saul's charge is to go provoke them. How is he supposed to know that he's supposed to do this? How is he supposed to have courage in the face of this calling that God has upon his life? Well, he's supposed to see these signs. God gave him his word and told him, these are the signs that you'll know. I'll be with you. I'll provide for you. And I will give you my spirit. But Saul disregards the signs, and so he disobeys the Lord. You see, verses 9 through 13 should have end, ended with, he went up to the high place, rallied the people of Israel, charged the Philistines, and routed them because God was with him. But it didn't. It ends with Saul's cowardly disobedience. And this is why our passage ends the way that it does in verses 14 through 16, because there's this interesting exchange with his uncle. It's like he goes up to the high place, and you're like, what's, what's the deal with the uncle that like, comes out of nowhere? You know, he's out of left field, and he's asking him all these questions. Um, It's because the uncle's like, what did Samuel tell you? Everybody knows who Samuel is. The last 10 chapters has been full of amazing things that Samuel has done, sharing the word of God and telling people, calling them into um, amazing positions. And Saul's like, no, he just told us that the donkeys had been found. Let me me explain the donkey thing, because now I feel like we've talked about it enough uh, and we're missing it. And I'm going to talk about it again later, but maybe I'll, I'll shorten it over there. So what happens earlier in chapter nine when we're introduced to Saul? Uh, he's just this farm boy, right? And his dad uh, loses some donkeys, and he goes, "Hey, go search, like, go search the land for these donkeys." And so he takes a servant with him, and they're searching for these donkeys, and it's been a while, um, and they're running out of food. And so Saul turns to his servant, and he's like, "Man, we got to go back because my dad's gonna cease to be worried about the donkeys, and he's gonna be worried about us. So like, we should go back." And the servant's like, "Well, we're pretty close to the city over here, where there's a man of God, the seer of God, that we find out is Samuel. Um, we should go ask him." And Saul's like, man, we don't have anything to give him. Like, bread sacks are empty. We can barely make it home. Like, we gotta go. And the servant's like, okay, I have a little bit of silver. Let's just go try it out. So finally Saul goes, right? And this is where he meets Samuel. And then Samuel uh, sets this amazing banquet for them. Um, and there's kind of this uh, hint among the people that like something great is gonna happen with Samuel. Uh, and then Samuel, uh, Saul sleeps at Samuel's house. Uh, and then later as they're departing the city, this is where our story picks up. And that's where uh, Samuel tells Saul's servant to continue going on because he has to talk with Saul a little bit and he anoints him with the oil. When Saul was just out looking for donkeys, he has this amazing call put on his life. And so Samuel gives Saul God's word for him, God's word of his presence, his provision, and his spirit to confirm for him that this is actually God's will for his life. But Saul would disregard God's word for him, ignore the signs, and leave God's word on red, and would fail to lead well. Do we leave God's word on red? Do we fail to lead well? When we're crying out for a sign, are we oblivious to all the signs that God has given us? Or are we willing to be taught from his word those things which we most desperately need to obey him? And those things which we desperately most need to obey him are God's presence God's provision, and God's spirit. Now, we aren't called to lead a charge in battle against foreign invaders the same way Saul was because none of us are kings of God's chosen people in the ancient Near East. We are called to obey God to lead in scary and intimidating and challenging situations, things which might result in failure, our own exposure, or take us to the end of ourselves. In order to have the courage to obey in these times, we need to go to God's word and have it point us. To these signs in our lives of God's presence, God's provision, and God's spirit. So first, let's explore God's presence. You know, I've shared this example before, but you know how like children wake up in the middle of the night uh, asking for their parents? And they do this because they want to know that the one with the authority to keep them safe is present with them. They feel vulnerable. They feel exposed. And they want to know that the one with the authority to keep them safe is Is with them. And as we saw in verse 7, do what your hand finds you to do. Do this scary thing that I'm calling you to do, Saul, for I am with you. As I mentioned, Saul doesn't come from political military background. Doesn't seem like he's fought a lot of battles. He doesn't really know what he's doing to organize and marshal an army. And yet this is his calling from God. The sign that he has given is that God is with him. How do we know that God is with us? Well, just like Saul, we need God's word to tell us. We need God's word to tell us over and over and over again that God is with us. And Samuel needed, or Saul needed the same thing from Samuel, which is why Samuel has to make known to him the word of God. And in some sense, I bet you that it was more than just this, but there was Samuel recounting all of the instances that God had said that he would be with his people. If you were to go back to Joshua when they were entering the land, this was another leader, Joshua, who was facing difficult times to attack um, a, a foreign nation And God promised that he would never leave him or forsake him. The same with Moses. Moses was worried about confronting Pharaoh. And so God gave his word and promised to be with him. The same was true with the people when they left the Egyptians. God's presence was with them in a pillar of cloud and fire. Later in Isaiah, after our passage and after Saul and Samuel, he will announce again in the face of seeming catastrophic defeat, Isaiah will tell the Israelites, Behold, he is the Lord your God, and even in exile, he is with you. God's word points us again and again to God's presence with us. No matter what he's calling us into. It's really easy to believe that God is with us in the successes. It's really hard to believe that God is with us in the failures. In the exiles, in the business downturns, in the family crises. In that moment, we need God's word to tell us again and again of God's presence. Now again, God's presence being with us doesn't mean that we have carte blanche freedom to do whatever we want because God is with us. No, it still means that we have to obey his word. But it means that we can face the losses, challenges, and difficulties of obeying God, knowing that he doesn't ever abandon us. Even if God is calling us into challenging situations uh, to to lead in ways that will make people unhappy, even if God is calling us to lead during downturns, even if God is calling us to toil over the same uh, seemingly endless work over and over and over again, even if God is calling us into illness and death, God tells us in his word that he is with us. God's word directs us to the signs we need to look at, that we need to hold on to in order to obey him. The first thing we need to hold on to in order to obey God is God's presence. But the second thing that we're going to need to hold on to in order to obey God is God's provision. Now, the way that God provided for Saul is interesting, right? He gives them these signs, and they seem a little weird to us. Um, And I I, I mentioned this already when we're talking about the donkeys, right? They're looking for the donkeys. um, They're running out of food. They need to turn around, da-da-da-da. So the first two signs that God gives Saul concern the donkeys and concern food. Like, Saul had concerns entering our passage, right? From chapter 9, he had concerns that were weighing on his heart. He was having concerns about his own father. He was having concerns about provisions for his return journey. And God's word to Saul says that he should look for provision for these things. Some people will come, confirm that the donkeys that he was looking for were found at the beginning of chapter 9. That happens in verse 2. Some people will give him bread in verses 3 and 4 provisions for his return journey now here's the interesting thing about god's provision it seems that saul was already counting on it like there were things that saul could have guessed like saul already knew you know what we've been gone a long time my father's going to be worried we should go back and god's provision for him is a seeming coincidence that people meet him on the path uh, that say hey your father's worried about you you should go back in some sense saul could be like yeah I, i already know and in the same way, they said they didn't have any food. And maybe Saul said, well, we know that we can count on some generosity of fellow travelers somewhere along the way to give us some bread. But God signed to Saul that he is with him, that this is the path that he has him on, concerns provision for the two things that he entered with concerns with. Concerns for his father's worry and concerns for food. Would Saul see these as signs? Or would we see them as mere coincidences? And that's a question I have for us. When we look at God's provision, do we tend to see God's provision in our life as mere signs? Or do we just see them as coincidences? We just bought a house after looking for like 14 months. Uh, And it was some amazing provision by God. But along the process, there was a lot of times where I was discouraged, uh, where I kind of lost faith in what God was doing. I wasn't sure that this was the path that he had us on, that we should just give it up and call it a day. Um, And there there was many times where I failed to see God's provision, and instead I saw mere coincidence. Part of the reason that I could not lead my family uh, in the way that we were supposed to as we were looking for a house, part of the way that I lost my my own uh, faith and got maybe a little bit cynical was because I failed to see God's acts of provision. I received encouragement and coaching from friends, brothers, and sisters in Christ. I was spared from investing in homes that were beyond my means and also spared from ones that were more work uh, than I had the capacity to really handle. I was provided contacts, relationships, connections, gifts, and prayers that, looking back, paint a picture of God's providence that is way larger than just the house itself. The problem when I'm facing present and future challenges is that I fail to reflect adequately on God's provision in the past. Saul was intended to see God's provision not as a mere coincidence but a supernatural providence. God working all things together for the plan that he has for Saul's life. I wonder if you can think back on a big aspect of God's provision in your life and actually see all of the little things that needed to happen all across the world in order to make it happen. I wonder if you can tell yourself that story again and again so that it lives in your memory of how God goes so far to provide for you, so that when you're facing present challenges and things that look like there are uh, no good ways out, you can remember those times that God has provided and say, God is not only with me, but provides for me. The reason that Scripture tells us again and again to reflect and remember on God's provision in the past is so that we can have confidence in His provision in the future. Are you looking for God's hand of provision Do you even give yourself enough time in silence to reflect and see how God's providence has worked in your life? A lot of the times uh, that Christians say that they take time to read their Bible and pray and take some time in silence Um, is not, uh, you know, some kind of like meditating, uniting with the divine, but actually to give our space, uh, our, our heads space to reflect on what God has done in our lives to take God's word that we are reading and see how it has actually worked out in our past. Part of the reason that Saul left God's word on read is because he could read it, but he could fail to let it change his heart. The connection between our head and our heart is a very long one. Uh, We can read God's word all day. We can hear the promises that he makes. We can see the signs. But just like Saul, we can fail to allow them to change us. Do you see God's providence working itself out in your life? Do you tell that story to others? In order to obey God in times of challenge, uh, we need these signs that God's word points us to of God's presence and God's provision. But there's one more, and that's God's spirit. Look with me at verse five. Saul was going up to the mountain of Gibeoth Elohim, and prophets were gonna be coming down, and the spirit of God was going to rush upon Saul, and he was going to prophesy too. And this is going to be a sign that God was with him. The sign that God was with him was that he was going to go up onto a mountaintop, have a mountaintop, literal mountaintop experience, um, have the Holy Spirit rush upon him, and he was going to prophesy. All right, so what we need in challenging times is to go up to a mountain, have the Holy Spirit rush upon us, and for us to prophesy. And we'll come back down, and all things will be made clear. We'll know exactly what God wants for our lives. I'm kidding. I know it's hard. Sorry, I'm a little dry sometimes. Sometimes. Ecstatic experiences of the Holy Spirit can be a little confusing for us. Are these the signs that we're supposed to expect? Like, is this what we should look for in our own lives? And the answer is no. Ecstatic experiences of the Holy Spirit are used by God to validate that He is doing something different In the world. For instance, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the crowd, yes, it was to mark the outpouring of the Spirit promised in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, the inauguration of a new covenant, not in the blood of bulls and goats, but in Jesus' blood. But it was also to signify that the apostles themselves are now God's authorized spokespeople. And until their words were recorded in Scripture, they were to be treated as God's special agents of revelation. So, too, in our passage, the authorized person leading Israel was changing. It was changing from judges like Joshua and Samuel to kings like Saul, and God signified it by a special, ecstatic experience of his Holy Spirit. So let me say this really clearly. When we are called to obey God in challenging times, none of us should depend or depend upon God's special acts of the Holy Spirit for our courage to obey. It's the wrong place to look for courage. It is the wrong place to put all of your hopes, to say that I'm going to have this amazing spiritual experience, and then I'm going to know for sure that that's what God wants. But we do desperately need God's Spirit. We ought to desperately depend in the face of challenges beyond our means upon the ordinary acts of the Holy Spirit for courage to face our callings. The Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, versus the New City one that we have in our bulletin uh, is a catechism that uh, our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, uses as one of its constitutional documents. And it says this about some of the ordinary actions of the Holy Spirit. Um, So these ordinary actions the Holy Spirit uses to grow our faith. The question is this, what are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? And the answer is the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are His ordinances, Word, sacraments, and prayer, all of which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. In some sense, you could add on to that, all of which are made effectual to the elect for salvation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if you were to go on to the next questions um, that follow this, they explain uh, what is the Word, what are sacraments, what is prayer, and in every single one of those answers, it describes how the Holy Spirit makes it effective to change us from the inside out. Saul needed God's spirit to be a changed man. And when he left Samuel, he was a changed man. And God's Holy Spirit rushed upon him. But then the thing that God had called him to do, he failed to do. In order to have courage to obey in challenging times, we need God's spirit. We need him working in the ordinary sustenance of word, sacrament, which is baptism in the Lord's Supper, and prayer. Now, how do we depend upon the Holy Spirit in these ordinary actions to transform us from the inside out? Well, of course, you have to do them. Uh, you have to be reading God's Word. You have to sit under preaching. Um, you also uh, need to be partaking of the sacraments, right, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and you need to be praying. But beyond just saying, do all these things, I think there's one more step that we can take, because I think it's one that we rarely uh, ask for consciously. I think we might verbalize the word, but we don't think about it too much. And that is that the Holy Spirit is a personal member of the Trinity who indwells you to transform you by these seeming ordinary actions. Do you pray for the Spirit of God to open your eyes to His Word? To ask Him to show you God's small acts of providence? Do you request that He might use the Lord's Supper to actually give you courage? Do you ask that the Holy Spirit might use physical things to give you spiritual encouragement to face those things that God is calling you to face in this next week, this next month, or this next year? Do you ask the Holy Spirit not only to show you the spiritual warfare, but also the spiritual provision? All of those little details that went into the major acts of provision that we remember. How God works on behalf of you. Do you ask him to make these ordinary actions of word, sacrament, and prayer richer for you? To give you the courage to obey God's commands. Saul needed to see the signs of God so that he might have courage, so that he might obey, so that he might hear and apply these truths, um, not just to his head, but that it would live in his hearts and transform him from the inside out. And just like Saul, we also need A sign. We need a sign of God's presence, a sign of God's provision, and a sign of God's spirit. And we have God's word, just like Saul did, and it points us to those things. But the moral of the story with Saul is that we are very much like him. And given God's word alone, we will experience all these things and fail to make the connection between our head and our heart. Saul got a lot more than just God's word. He got these miraculous experiences, too. And even then, he could leave God's word on read. He could fail to rest in God's presence, fail to see God's provision, and fail to depend upon God's spirit. We have the sign of God's word, but is this the only sign that we've received? What does the sign really point to? Our New Testament passage this morning was from Luke chapter two where the angels appeared to the shepherds announcing that Jesus had been born. And the angels were making some pretty radical claims about this king, this savior, this Messiah. They said, and they said to the shepherds, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. We have been given God's word and it is a sign that points us to something. You know, like that's just how signs function. San Juan's 20 miles away the sign itself is not San Juan, San Juan's 20 miles away, right? We've been given God's word, and it is a sign that points us to something, and it points us to Jesus. He's not just the sign pointing us further on, but he is all of these things. The greatest sign that we have ever been given of God's presence is Emmanuel, Emmanuel which means God with us. When Jesus came and walked among us, when he healed us and forgave us of our sins, when he fed us, when he united what was broken, Jesus is the sign that God is not far off. And he's not just another sign, but he is the thing signified itself because he is God who walks with us, risen from the dead. The greatest sign that we've been given of God's provision is also Jesus. No longer a covenant of blood of of bulls and goats, but a new covenant, a better covenant made by the perfect sacrifice that actually covers our sins. He is the thing signified. God himself given to provide for us our greatest need that we actually be forgiven of our sins. And finally, God's spirit. I mentioned the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. You see, Saul had the Spirit rush upon him, but only for a little bit of time, and then the Spirit left. But we, being participants in the better covenant, experience the blessing of the Holy Spirit for our entire Christian lives. And yes, he works in ordinary and seemingly unspectacular ways of word, sacrament, and prayer. But he never leaves or forsakes us. He is our seal, that we were purchased with a price and that God will not fail to make us a people wholly set apart and a holy nation. Brothers and sisters, we need courage like Saul to obey in the hard times and we need a sign that God is present with us, that he provides for us and that we have his spirit. And Jesus is not just another sign, but is the thing signified itself. The risen king, who when he was ascended into heaven, looked at his disciples and said, behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. The risen king who provides for us richly by his very body and his blood. The perfect sacrifice breaking down the dividing wall of hostility between God and man, uniting us to himself by his death and resurrection. And he is also the risen king who seemingly takes ordinary tasks to change us from the inside out by the power of his spirit. Uses word of sacrament and prayer in ways that we would have never expected to give us the courage to face those times that God is calling us into. If the question for Saul was whether he would see the God-given signs before him, the question for us is the same. Jesus, the king, not just the sign, but the thing signified itself. Will we, like the shepherds, run to see him and bow down our lives to him, allowing his presence, his provision, and his spirit to overwhelm us? Or will we look at his presence, provision, and spirit as mere coincidences. Leave God's word on read and fail to allow it to transform us. Would you pray with me? God, we need a sign, and we ask that you would allow your word to point us not just to another sign, but to the thing signified itself, that we might have the courage to obey you because we see with what great love you pursued us that Jesus came, his presence with us, that he promised to return, to be with us forever in resurrected bodies. Father, he promised to provide for us, to be our good and loving king, who would not just take, 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 but give. And Lord, he gave us the thing that we most desperately needed, forgiveness of our sins. And Father, I ask that we might also participate in the Spirit, that through the seemingly ordinary tasks of word, sacrament, and prayer, that we might be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit to be more and more like Jesus. And I ask this in his name. Amen. One of the things that we talked about was sacrament. And one of the sacraments is the Lord's Supper. And it's the one that we participate in again and again and again. Baptism happens once. Um, but the Lord's Supper is Special because it actually combines these three things that we just talked about God's presence, God's provision, and God's Spirit all happen right here. You see, this is not my table. Uh, this is not Trinity Church's table. This is Jesus' table, the risen Lord who says, Come and eat with me. This is also Jesus' body and his blood broken and shed for you to remind you and also allow you to taste the forgiveness that he has purchased. Uh-huh. His greatest provision for you. And also, it is effective only by the power of His Spirit. Effective to spiritually nourish us to face those things that are coming. That the Holy Spirit can take even this um, tiny piece of bread and little thimble full of wine (laughs) and use it to nourish you. Seemingly ordinary things used for spectacular purpose. The night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread, and having blessed it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, as I am ministering his name, now give it to you. And Jesus said, take this bread, eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed it and given thanks, he said to his disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the remission of your sins. Your greatest provision. Take and drink. If you believe that Jesus is not just another sign, but is, in fact, the thing signified, the one in whom God's presence, God's provision, and God's spirit comes pouring out all over us, then this table is for you. If you haven't bowed your life down to Jesus, if you're not sure he is who he says he is, if you haven't been united to him in baptism, I'd ask you to refrain from this portion of our service, uh, to heed God's word, um, to let it travel actually from your head to your heart and understand that it is dangerous to do so. We practice the Lord's Supper uh, every week here at Trinity that we are able to. And so if you would like to participate in the future and have questions on how to do that, please talk to me, Kyle, or some of our other leaders. We'd be happy to answer some questions that you may have about that. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we can come down the center aisle, and we can go to these serving stations on my right and my left. Uh, There's a gluten-free option of bread uh, that is available. Please notify your server. And then there is white, uh, red wine and clear grape juice. Uh, please take according to your conscience. If you would, please pray with me. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would allow us to know the presence and the provision of our God in this ordinary act with common elements of bread and wine. Lord, I pray for the people in this room that whatever they are facing, that they might know that you are with them, that this table is set for them. Allow them to see in this table provision that they have longed for. Allow this act of taking bread and wine to be an act of provision that makes sense of all of the other smaller acts of provision that has happened even this last week. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make this effective to give us courage, to transform us from the inside out, that we might have the courage to pursue Jesus day in and day out. And we ask this in his name. Amen.